What's up, everybody? This is Soccer Chat, your weekly coaching podcast. We've got some great friends that help us out the show, like our good friends over at Dutic Brand, dutikbrand.com. For all your latest coaching accessory needs, make sure to use the promo code SOCCERCHAT to get yourself a sweet discount. I saw a big, uh, big few tweets of uh, some friends of ours, like Emma Morris and some others who had just recently ordered uh, some, some gear. And I was like, oh, you know, make sure to use promo code SOCCERCHAT. And for whatever reason, they had never heard that and had already bought an uh, their products, which is good for them, full price, you know, giving back to the to the soccer community. But if you're thinking about getting on Dutic brand, uh, oh, because the question was, uh, I think it was from our, our homie, Josh Burton, you know, what do you get uh, a new assistant or what would you, was something that you would get your assistants? And everybody said Dutic brand. So go on dutikbrand.com, use the promo code soccer chat and get yourself a freaking discount. Okay. I, I'm tired of everybody like, oh, well, I paid full price. Y'all have known. We put it in a tweet every week. We say it on the podcast. Use the promo code SoccerChat and get yourself a sweet discount over at dutikbrand.com. Shout out to Torx, T-O-R-R-X.com. I debuted mine with my team this week, and they were like, what is that? I was like, this is a fantastic world's greatest ball pump. It's phenomenal. It went through, I believe we had six bags full of balls that have not been aired up since October. And man, did that thing put in the work. It was so incredible. Uh, go check it out, T-O-R-R-X.com. Best way you can support us, because this is a listener-supported podcast, support people by people just like you, uh, just share out the links every single week whenever we put the shows out on Thursdays. You can uh, hop in, let us know. I, I've loved, we got something from Jess Nash uh, just a while ago who said that she just loved the episode we did uh, with Paula Wilkins. I said it was funny and that uh, she enjoyed uh, hearing everything and is looking forward to once again working a, a Badger camp with Paula Wilkins, uh, Nick Rizzo, and Marissa Kresge, and in parentheses, hopefully someday, Coach Soderling. Thanks for, for that plug. I'll, I'll take that. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of awesome stuff so far from the, from the Paula episode. Uh, as I've said before, it was like super real. Uh, it was, it was fun, uh, for, for everybody to, to listen to, uh, Matthew Horton said it was a fun episode and, and Paula was fun. She's, she's just a fun person to be around, um, share those links out every single week and also join the conversation every Wednesday night at 9 30 PM Eastern time, just by following the hashtag soccer chat. He's Nick. I'm Sean and, um, Nick school started for us. I ran training sessions. We are, we are in this right now. I'm very jealous of you. I still have another 10, maybe nine days until my first training session. How are they going? How are you feeling about them? Um, you know, like, no, it, it's, it's fun to be out there uh, and to be out there with, with some restrictions and things along those lines. So, you know, you got to adapt. You got to be able to uh, – the big phrase I've heard these past two weeks is being able to, to live on a pivot. Um, and I – not really quite sure. I completely understand that analogy, but it sounds cool. So we'll go with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's for someone like myself who, you know, had club tryouts, didn't feel comfortable being there. Didn't really like I observed at tryouts. I didn't run the sessions and then going to, um, a showcase that we all went to and still being uncomfortable to then going to a camp where I felt comfortable because of the measures that we're taking it did take me a little bit of a time to adjust um, with our our first session. But, um, you know, I think once I got that initial 
drill in and uh we went tic-tac-toe game very first thing i mean like we're gonna knock it out of the park very first thing of all Might as well. um and so uh once doing that really uh really kind of eased the tension to where like now like i catch myself i've been very good about um our players don't have to wear mask while they're training but i do unless i'm at a significant distance uh, i can i can pull mine down and so it's like if i get to a point where like they're far away from me and i can pull my mask down it's just that remembrance of like, if I'm walking into, if, because if I stop something, I want to discuss it, pulling that back up real quick. Uh, and then thankfully I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job about that, but um, yeah, it, it, it's been, it's still like it, it's, we're back into it, but it still feels really crazy. Oh, I mean, honestly, like, it's going to be so interesting when we eventually get back to a world where that's not required. Hopefully, that, I mean, hopefully that's the case. I see some of the coaches that are wearing the shields, and I I don't know how you're doing it because I would be there be mine would be filled with spit. Oh, dude! Honestly, I went I ran a training session for a club the other day, and it was like no spitting allowed. It was like Jesus, I I that is something I'm not used to at all. I know, like our school talked about um, for baseball. What's a very common thing? Spitting and licking yeah. your fingers. Yep, well, and, and chewing sunflower seeds. Yeah. And so like, they're going to have to like legit every time, like if a kid like licks his fingers before a pitch or before a throw or whatever, like has to be pulled out and like talk to him like, Hey, like you can't do that. Um, it's crazy how many things that, and and the the girls kind of had that where maybe they're used to like, Hey, you know, throw me that water bottle. That's right there that you're using, you know, you use yours real quick and then you throw it like, you can't do that. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that we're still trying to get used to. Um, but I think the big thing for us as, as a program, I think our school is doing a pretty good job of, and I mentioned this on the show, like we're just trying to educate them on these new routines that they have to be a part of. And, you know, we've only been doing it for a couple of days now. And I think the more and more that they get into these habits, they get into these routines, um, that it will, uh, it'll all stick at some point, or at least we hope so. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like, I, just, I would really love to get into a world where I can go and hug a person and not have to be afraid of hugging the person. It's going to be so awkward, too, because no one's hugged people in forever. And so hopefully, again, in a year or whatever it is, we actually get to do all these things. Like, we're going to have to, like, relearn how to be social with one another. Like, yeah. I mean, we're already trending towards the direction where most people are more comfortable being digital with someone anyway. And I, I don't know about you, but like for me, for the most part, I was like, no, no, we need to be better about being in person. And then this whole pandemic happens and it teaches you to be comfortable on Zoom or comfortable on text and phone and stuff. I really hope we get to the point where people are craving contact so much again that we have this reversal where it's like, actually, no, it's probably better to meet someone in person and have a face-to-face conversation, different things like that. Yeah, I um I can't think of uh I'm 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 watch I'm walking past classrooms, seeing these kids in the classes and you know their teachers are on a Zoom call, like in the classroom with them and you know, thinking about man, like, you know, is it gonna be awkward when it, we return where there's teachers in classrooms? Uh, you know, yeah. and, and not every and not every class is like that, but like, you know, there are some classes uh, not just college, but high school and junior high elementary where like, that's the case where there is a person who's teaching virtually. Uh, and to think of, you know, 
that makes me even think like, man, this is going to take a lot longer than what we think to get everything kind of back in because you obviously don't want to risk it anything, but you know, you've got some weeks here leading up to, to your first session, you know, it, are, are there things happening that you're saying this is getting us closer to that time plane or do you still feel like, man, we're quite a bit away? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've been very happy with what I've seen on the Monmouth college campus. And you know me, I'm pretty honest. If I didn't think that they were doing a good job, I would definitely say it. I, the first day that kids were back on campus that I was working was Monday and I remember getting out of my car, walking to campus, and I didn't see a single kid not wearing a mask. And it encouraged me because, if I mean, again, we got to keep that energy up through the weekends. We got to keep that energy up through the next month and things like that. But it, it was a very positive thing for me because kids are, and again, like all campuses, kids are coming from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, and they're parents may feel a certain way about masks, may feel not a way about masks, but I was very happy with how immediate and intentional wearing masks and social distancing on campus was. But again, that could change in a week. It, you have no idea, but I was very happy in the, in my first impression over the last three days, seeing what the kids have been doing. Yeah. And there's at some point, I think for the kids that that, and I think it's just inevitable that 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 newness wears off, and it's like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, and then you know it, and and that whatever that may bring, you know. And I hope that uh, you know we we've really been stressed to our kids of like you know we're, we're a school of prim- primarily of athletes. Like, hey, if you guys want to play, these precautions that we're given to you, you have to do them. You yep. absolutely have to do them. Uh, and there's at some point to where you know if somebody's done it for so long, they're just you know. Oh, I've had enough when we're doing this, you know, that, that's, that's a whole nother ball game. But, um, you know, it, I was, I was, <laughs> I was listening to our, our show with Paula, uh, there down my way to work. And, uh, I think I made the co- the comment about, it. it was the most, uh, recent soccer chat conversations of soccer chat conversations that we've had. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it was, it was just so fun talking to her and letting loose. And, um, I think, you know, I feel like we needed Paula and that conversation more than Paula needed. Well, I think we think that about every episode, like we need the conversation more than they need ours. Um, but you know, in that talk of return to normalcy and I'm using air quotes for everybody who's listening to this, uh, that talk with Paula, I mean, it felt normal. It felt like before all of this. And yes, we were talking about the things that, uh, that's been going on, but the conversation was normal. And I'm so happy that we did the episode with Paula last week, uh, because that's, and here's a segue. Um, that led us into this week's interview, which I think was just super fun to have great guy, uh, to come on here. And, uh, I I guess, I mean, we did talk soccer, but I feel like we just talked a lot more about the strength conditioning side of things, which is great for uh, all teams right now, whether you're in preseason or you've been moved to the spring and, uh, you're trying to get ready for that. Uh, great, great topics and some really bad accents um, from from me. At some point, Nick is going to try to do accents and they're not going to work and we can put the blame on both of us. But uh, what what is an accent that you try that you just cannot do? Um, I don't try any of them at all. I, 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 know, my, I know my limitations uh, for the most part and that's, I don't do accents. I wish I could do an Irish accent. I just, I cannot do it. My wife mm-hmm. says that my Irish accent sounds more like my Middle Eastern accent. 
Um, uh, that's a very, uh, you, like, that's a, a weird combination for sure. It is. And it, it drives me crazy. But anyways, this, this fantastic young man who has a great education, by the way, uh, <laughs> you would and, say that, <laughs> um, that, uh, you're, you're going to enjoy it. It's, it's going to give you something. And definitely, uh, at the end, when he gives you the contact information, go check him out. Uh, the info is also in, uh, the show info. So we're, that way you can, you can get a hold of him. Uh, super knowledgeable, super smart. This guy's going places and you're going to hear all about it coming up. I should be downtown whipping on the radio. You got something that belongs to me. Your body language says it all. Despite the things you said to me. Who is it that's got you all gassed up? Changing your opinion on me I was only gone for the last few months But you don't have the time to wait on me It's that time of year where you've got preseason going on if your team is still playing or you're getting ready for that preseason if you know your team is moving on to the spring season you're just trying to get some training in get some conditioning in probably and we've got the best show for you to do it this week I, I like how we get these things planned for you all you know last year preseason we were doing leadership stuff and fitness things and technical work and whatnot and then we brought the man the myth the legend with us this week mr andy mr andy my favorite soccer coach slash duke graduate slash duke fan what's going on my man Yo, first of all, go Duke. Let's yes, go. Yes, sir. Like, Let's go Duke. Let's, Let's go, go Duke. Duke. Keep it Claro, man. Keep it Claro. <laughs> not every, not every- it was a good talk, guys. We had a good one. It was <laughs> good. And uh, we're... <laughs> but Nick, you'll love this. I was getting ready to say, not everybody can say that they've gotten that education. And then both of us would be walking out because there'd only be one person in the room who actually has a degree from Duke uh, as compared to, I've purchased enough merchandise and apparel um in my lifetime that i probably should have one hey we'll we'll put you in the honorary family you know (laughs) you deserve a spot up there dude one of my one of my good friends i used to coach with um played at duke many years ago and every time uh, i would ride in his car with him he had his mom's uh old toyota and had her the iron dukes logo on the back uh, his family his family contributed to it and uh, i was like oh i was like how'd you get an iron duke sticker he's like man my like my parents are part of it i was like what and he would always wear like the iron dukes t-shirt i'm like how do you got one of those he's like i took it from my parents i'm just like he's like how do you even know what that is i was like i'm not telling you i can't say anything he's like really only people only people who go to duke know about the iron dukes i was like sorry it's just it's just a habit i I was looking actually into duke's acceptance rate today and it's like less than 10 percent. so sean you and me for sure are not getting into duke dude i had I had no chance. And the thing was, no one ever told me that I had no chance until going into my senior year of high school. Like, I mean, my, my sophomore and junior year were not good grades whatsoever. Uh, not like bad grades, but I just, I didn't perform well as I did previously. And everybody's like, oh yeah, like you're going to be the one guy from Boonville High School who's ever went to do just because like I loved it that much. And yeah, then my senior year, I remember uh, 
somebody's like, so what are you going to do? I was like, I think I'm going to go to Duke and like either play basketball or like be a manager for the basketball team or something like that. And somebody's like, no, you're not. And I was like, oh. Then it well, was, fu- funny enough, being a manager for the basketball team, I think the acceptance rate for that is lower than 10%. Yeah, I guarantee it. <laughs> it's, it's tough, man. It's a competitive field out there. And watching when the when the managers play other managers or like other school managers for the the manager games the night before, you gotta have a you gotta have a jumper too to play. You're, for you do manager. have to be legit. You absolutely have to be legit. And I mean, come on, guys. I'm from Indiana. We're born playing basketball, so <laughs> I feel like I would have fit in a little bit. But uh, no, man. So Andy, let, let's let's get into it uh, as we got Andy Serafin here with us. Uh, you know, so as we, as we, we continue talking about your Duke education, you know, what'd you sco- go to school for? What'd you study and how are you using that now, uh, into your coaching? Yeah. So I, I started my undergrad at Temple university, um, went to Philly for there for four years, studied exercise science. Because I'm scared of um, everyone in Philly. I'm not going to trash Temple. And Philly's a, Philly is a fun place. A lot of times people have the, the weird perception of it. But I've never heard anyone tell me that Philly is a fun place. <laughs> it, it is a very fun place. And then I need to go where you're, where you're going. Yeah, shout out to Philly, man. Do what you got to do. Yeah, man. Because like, okay, here's another thing, right? I mean, in Philly, a lot of people kind of talk a lot of smack about their sports fans. But from just living in New Jersey and going to Philly, lived in Baltimore for a little bit, uh, moved down south. I got to say Philly has the most passionate. I know like a lot of fans and I'm the same way. Like you don't like being lumped into another fan base, like um, similarities. But for me, Philly fan base seems like, like they're rabid and diehard as the Chicago fan base, except they're just more victorious uh, than, than Chicago teams. It's fair. I mean, we, we, we get, we get one every once in a while, but yeah, no Philly, honestly, my only reference for like the Philly fan base is the movie invincible, like with Mark Wahlberg. I mean, that's a great movie. It's like one of my favorite movies of all time. You guys ever seen that where he's like the tryout wide receiver. Yeah. That's my only reference. Like the Philly fan base though. I think the thing, the thing that all, the only thing you need to know about the Philly fan base is the, um, where the Eagles used to play at was the, the County jail was underneath the stadium. So you could go to trial right from the game when you would get arrested. That, that <laughs> That's all you need. That, I mean, like, that says it all about, about Philly sports and how again, hardcore Snopes, their fans are. Again, Snopes, don't fact check us here. We, I, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't done my research on that one yet, but Sean says it, so it's true. Absolutely. I've also heard it too. So I mean, that's two out of three. Shot, watch, man, we're good. Watch, we're watch the Eagles get tossed out of the games, throw a couple kids, go downstairs to the judge. I'm sorry. And then I'm good. I, yeah, I no. don't talk like anybody from Philly or Jersey. That's horrible accent. I, I don't know what accent that was, but. <laughs> no. But even rewinding it a little bit more, where, like, so you grew up in Jersey and, and obviously you have a soccer Can background. Can we just say Joyzy? the whole time. Joyzy. <laughs> um, but, you got, and you have a soccer background too, but also have a very strong interest in strength and conditioning. How did you get to this point? Like, what happened to... Did you play soccer growing up? Did, and what, what kind of led you to this point where you're passionate about strength and conditioning, but also very much on the soccer end? Yeah, so I, I did play soccer growing up. Unfortunately, I was not very talented. Um, Welcome to so the club. I, we understand this. <laughs> we understand this. Okay, we, we, got, we got some family members here in that club. <laughs> yes, sir. Too, yes, sir. These slightly but, above averaged players. That's the squad we're on. 
Yes, sir. And um, so I played rec my whole my whole life, and I still play rec now, actually. And um, I played throughout middle school, high school, rec in in college. And when I went to Temple, studied exercise science. And I, at first, when I was there, I was kind of iffy as to what direction I wanted to go, whether it be PT or, or another health field. And um, when I went down to Duke, I started getting more interested in sports medicine. And I got a chance to shadow one of the PTs there who was in charge of like a soccer outreach program. And he was the PT for a USL2 team in the area. And when I was on that field for one of their games, it just hit me that like, yo, it's a Friday night. There's, there's a legit soccer game here in front of me, high performance <laughs> environment. And here I am just like, that was the first night I've ever done an ice pack for an athlete. And that was like, honestly, a magical moment for me. Cause it's like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Not give ice packs out, of course, but like <laughs> be in an environment where I'm contributing to the healthcare of a soccer player in a high performance environment. If a professional team paid me to hand out ice packs, I would totally sign up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we, Sean and I also don't have doctorates, so that would, that would be our level I'm, of hey, qualification. I'm about, to, I'm, there, I'm about to be married to one as soon as she finishes her dissertation. I'm not sure if that's the same thing. <laughs> you know, we, we, we had this discussion. I was like, you know how like people, when they write a letter, they're like, to Mrs., Mr. and Mrs., you know, whatever. I'm like, so like, are they going to start putting like to Dr. Sean and Casey Sutherland. She was like, no, they're not. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> that would have been so cool though. I, it would be cool. I, I keep joking with her telling me like her PhD is going to be in education, educational leadership. I'm like, you know, like if I like ever break my arm, like I'm going to walk up to you and be like, Hey, can you fix this? Yeah. And she's right. like, that's not the type of doctor that I am. <laughs> I, th I think it might be able to work just a, a little bit of carryover, you know, <laughs> but for sure, man, like, so, you know, you mentioned being in that moment and, and helping that professional, that, that athlete and, and being in that high level game, you know, what was kind of the, the motive after, like, was it something where you got home that night and you were like, yo, this, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm making sure that this is my profession somehow, some way, or was it something that the more and more you got into it, almost like a slow burn where like that first game was kind of like the tease. And then it was like, you started like finding yourself getting more actively involved. Yeah, I think it's pretty accurate to say it was it was like a very strong tease of like, man, I love that moment. Can I can I feel that again? It was like, Andy, um, come over here. Yeah, yeah. Almost come like a, a fishing reel, like reeling yeah. me in and like boom, I just caught the hook right there. So cool. So cool. And so I mean, like, did you continue on like for the rest of that season with that? Uh, you know, who you were shadowing with or you know um you know was it something where like you 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 both talked about afterwards you're like yo like i've got to be around this more often yeah so got to finish out the season with them and then after that i was going into my second year of school and i wanted to know if like okay i love that moment can i sustain this can i keep on this trend of just enjoying myself in this environment so at that point i emailed all the professional teams in the area nobody responded and then I Jerks. emailed all of the D1 institutions. So Duke, UNC, NC State, all of those. None of those responded. Jerks. Emailed. <laughs> of course, they kind of responded, but then it, it kind of fell off. And then emailing back and forth, literally everybody. And then I got to the end of like two months of emails and there was nothing. And then I said, okay, I hit everyone from the pro level on down. 
only place I haven't hit is the youth level. So um, I emailed the athletic trainer for North Carolina FC's Youth Academy. And turns out they could use some help because they have three athletic trainers. And last time I checked on the website, they have about 30,000 players there. So do the math. Like they kind of do need the help. So um, went over to them and said, hey, this is what I can offer to you guys. I'd love to volunteer with you guys. Did that for about eight months. And then I went over to a strength and conditioning facility that also works with North Carolina FC. Um, shadowed there and interned there for about four or five months. And then when I was out on clinical rotations, worked with a few teams um, while I was there for like two, three months each. And that leads me to today. Clinical rotations is not something you hear often on a soccer podcast. Uh, we've never <laughs> talked about that before. Ever. What is... What does clinical rotations entail? And, and especially so, with, with Nick getting ready to marry a nurse, he might need to know what this is. This is a thing yeah, that would be... this is important. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine this. I'll give in a little analogy for you. Imagine you're uh, a young soccer coach who maybe has a, a license or two. Maybe you got your D license and you want to get good experience. So imagine there's a program out there for you that they'll kind of say, okay, go study at El Paso Surf for six weeks. And then we're going to bring you up to another club and North Carolina FC, you'll study there for 12 weeks. And then you'll go over to, let's say, Red Bull Academy, study there for 16 weeks. And while you're there, you're going to work with the coach and work with the team. And we're going to build your skill set. So that way, after those three rotations, your skill set is good. Your resume is good. You're ready to go out on your own and coach a team. Okay, gotcha. people People are not watching this whatsoever because this is a podcast. But I just want to explain to y'all how dope my man is here. You, you've heard just how intelligent – he's way more intelligent than probably almost any person that we've had on the podcast before. And that's no disrespect to everybody else. He's a really, doctor. We've really, only had a few doctors on here. Yeah. Do- Dr. Laura Jackson. Dr. Laura Jackson. Okay, yeah. I've, D- Laura, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, she may be the smartest person we've had on the show, but my man's is sitting here. He's got the the body system poster of like the muscles and the bones, like what you would see when you walk into uh, the, the the office uh, or the doctor's office or maybe your your local health classroom. And then on the other side of his shoulder, he's got a Drizzy poster. <laughs> man, like it don't like sign me up. Sign me up. Oh, yeah. I, I got to flip the camera for you then because we got we got some soccer stuff on this wall here. Um, okay. Look at the jersey collection. Barcelona jersey by Thierry Henry. Uh, okay. U.S. men's national team by Demarcus Beasley and then Arsenal by Thierry Henry as well. And then wow. up top, I got a, um, a present from one of my friends. He took a picture of my head and photoshopped it onto the body of Eric Abidal as they were lifting him when they won the Champions League. So <laughs> I have that framed in my bedroom as well. What, a, I mean, you need to like mo- take all those to your office one day. Like I want, I want someone to walk into your office and they see like the human body system and then Drizzy and then your face photoshopped on a Barcelona championship <laughs> celebration. <laughs> yes, sir. It'll come with me wherever I go. <laughs> But, you know, as we're kind of talking about this, it made me think in my own own brain, there's probably a lot of schools like mine where we don't have our own strength conditioning coach. A lot of it is just we as coaches have to Google something or if we know someone, ask like, hey, like what stuff we can do? I I, kind of like what 
what should we be doing for those of us who, who are at universities who, who don't have strength conditioning coaches? Because like I said, like we, could, we just normally get on Google or maybe some of our kids have a program that they've done before. But like, what is the best thing we can do um, for, for us that don't, that don't have that ability to have someone like you? Yeah. So first of all, um, credit to every coach that, that thinks of that to try to improve the overall, not only fitness, but health and wellness of, of all of their athletes. And it's definitely a tricky place to navigate, right? Because you as a head coach, not only worry about the, the technical and the tactical, but the physical is its own, its own realm, really. So My guy, I was a um, broadcasting major. Fitness and science and physics, not a part of what I've done. Yeah. And, and it's tough. And you even look at like us soccer's coaching education. I can go on a long tangent about that as well, but fitness is an emphasis T report later. T report later. <laughs> we'll do that. Off like, air. We'll do that off air. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky, but one of the best places I think you can start um, when I was in, in Baltimore, I believe I, I met you guys there briefly at the, the coaching convention and um, United soccer coaching has a really good diploma all about, sport performance for a head or assistant soccer coach. And it's about maybe 18 or so hours long, but it is the bare bones basic minimum that I think a a coach should really have in terms of knowledge on sport performance. So I would start there and you'll learn a lot of basics there that can really take you a long way. No, that's awesome. Like for you, like one of the things I really enjoy about, following you on Twitter is you have a lot of different ideas and a lot of different things that you are focusing on about what you're putting out into the community. And that's, we've talked about a few different coaches that I don't think enough coaches put things out there and and even strength conditioning coaches, like put things out there for people like Sean and me to use. Where do your ideas come from when you're putting things out into the community? I, I mean, I was even watching one of yours the other day. It was like something along the lines of, I think it was Leroy Sané that was, it was talking about like acceleration, deceleration. Please, if I, if I'm misquoting this, please let me know. But I, I remember, I think you were putting some out there. Where, where are your ideas coming from with this type of stuff? It, it comes from a lot of what like coach strength and conditioning coaches call like their, their coach's eye. And over the past two to three years, the way I view a soccer game has changed dramatically. Um, mostly because of what I've been studying in terms of strength and conditioning, just like how most coaches out there, the second you start your coaching classes, when you watch a game, you don't watch it the way you, you watched it when you were a kid. You're now analyzing formations, off ball, off ball movement, things most people don't see because that's what you're, you're almost trained to do. Um, so that, that video that you referenced, Leroy Sané, he was pretty much, we all know Sané has incredible pace running with the ball, he stops on a dime, about two defenders fall, he reaccelerates, and the other defender that didn't fall couldn't catch up to him. Um, a lot of head coaches, when they see that, say, wow, great ball control, um, great body awareness, great awareness of his surroundings and the defenders, which is all true. Um, but I look at it a little bit differently. I kind of look at the physical aspect and say, wow, he, he decelerated came to a complete stop, which is one skill, right? And then he accelerated right after that, which is another skill. And the players around him didn't have the physical capabilities to keep up with him, which is why they're either on the floor or they're five yards behind him. I think the hard thing for 
us as coaches right now is it's almost taboo to talk about physical characteristics. It's like, if you say someone's super pacey or someone's fast or someone's athletic, it's almost like you're looked at as like, Oh, you're only recruiting someone that's athletic. Where is, do you see that there's a benefit to not only recruit the players like the Messies of the world that see something that it, it, it might not be there, but also recruit those elements that are absolutely essential for a person to be effective at any level, college, professional, high school, things like that. Phys like the things you're talking about, acceleration, deceleration, things like that. So that's, I think, especially important at the youth level because when players are in that pre-puberty age range, their bodies are going to be changing dramatically. And that physical aspect of their game is also going to change dramatically between age 10 or 12 all the way up to 17, 18, right? So when we're in that early age, let's focus on the soccer, right? Let's focus on the ball control, the technique, um, overall skill, overall ability, that raw talent, right, that you would see in a Messi on the streets of Argentina when he was like, what, 10, 11 years old. And let's worry about the physical later right? Because whatever, and this is part of the beauty of the game of soccer, whatever physical characteristics you bring to the table, there is a place for you on the field. Whether you're big or strong, you can be a nice center back with good ball skills. If you're tall and lanky, okay, you can be a striker or you can be even be a keeper with good ball skills, right? If you're a winger, if you're smaller, you're faster, you can go out the wide, but every position requires you to have good technical ability. So if you focus on that at the youth level, once the player is older and more developed, you can say, hey, I'm going to plug you at center back or I'm going to shift you over out wide. And I think that's really the, the key aspect of what a recruiting process should look like at a younger age. Do you think that we in the United States, and again, I'm not trying to get you in trouble if the U.S. soccer ever comes to you, do you think we place an emphasis too much on physical characteristics at time? and not enough on technical characteristics? Or do you think that we, like, that's just a weird perception of how the United States views soccer? I think we put too much of an emphasis on winning games, especially at the youth club pay-to-play level, right? Players and parents and clubs need to win games in order to do whatever they have to do, right? And a lot of the times, the easiest way to win a game, if a player isn't technically developed, is to use their raw speed, strength, stamina. And those players oftentimes tend to make it further along in the development because they say, hey, that kid's a star. He can outrun everybody, and he's scoring goals because of it. But when you bring that over to a, a global or international stage, everybody's fast, right? Everybody's strong. So, again, do you have those ball skills? And a lot of the times that doesn't seem to happen, I think, in the United States. If like a, a youth parent came up to you and at, at this point and was like, hey, I, I want you to train my son or daughter to they need to be faster, quicker, different things like that. W would your advice be more to be, wait? Sorry. Just call me by my name. <laughs> Because Sean came up to you. No. Um, and was no, asking, seriously, call me by my name on this because I'm interested. 
And they were curious what they should be doing with their younger sons or daughter at the, the youth ages. We'll say like six to 12 years old before they're getting high school when they're still going through that development process. I, I know your daughter, what is, is Quinn six now? So. Yeah, <laughs> she's six. Um, what would your advice be to those parents that are having those children go through that physical development phase in terms of what do they need to be doing? What, what should they not be doing? What, what should be a focal point for parents that are having those kids go through those ages? And age, age is a funny topic too, right? Because in sports science, there's a, a concept called long-term athletic development. And whenever we're looking at this, we're saying, okay, we have an athlete at the younger age when they're older, let's say 17, 18, we want them to be at their, at their best potential, right? Because studies have shown if you're able to incorporate these strength and conditioning principles at a younger age, you're able to be more athletic at an older age, which is always the goal in strength and conditioning. Now, it also depends on what we call biological versus chronological age meaning you could have a 12-year-old who is 12 years old on paper, but you look at him and you're like, bro, you look like you're 16, you know? And you, you get it both ways too, where you have a 12-year-old and you're like, man, he looks like he's eight or nine years old, which is another thing we have to judge. But in general, for these younger age ranges, focusing a lot on the fundamental movements, um, so squatting, hinging, lunging, pushing, pressing, without any type of load get that movement mastered so that way when they are at an older age and some of the hormones start to flow, they already know the pattern, then they can start to add the load and it'll be able to influence their overall strength and development at that age. Like, at, like and again, everyone develops at different ages and stuff like that. Do you feel that we put too much of an emphasis on not individualism, but when they hit this certain age or this certain thing, this is what they need to be progressing to in terms of physical stature and physical capabilities. Um, a little bit. I think that people develop at, at different rates and it's hard to not put people into boxes where the soccer structure is inherently set up in a way where when you're in a certain age, you're on a certain team. Um, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to overall talent too. And just being able to use that the best of your ability. So let's say you have a, a 12 or 13 year old who's extremely talented, but they keep on ending up with hamstring injuries for whatever reason. Well, okay, maybe let's focus on that. So that way, not only are we getting you more fit, but we're allowing you the physical capability to showcase your talent on a more regular basis. So that's another thing you can kind of look at. How much too is, because uh, obviously, I mean, I'm an older guy. My generation growing up, for us strength conditioning was just bigger, faster, stronger. That, that's like literally every high school was, was using that program. There's probably a lot that still do. I, I, as I've gotten older, even especially like once I got to college and learned more about plyometrics and, and core workouts and stuff like that, how how do you see the trend in soccer? Um, and it's probably much different at a club level. 
Um, you know, do you see a difference in those kids who maybe are doing programs that are like a bigger, faster, stronger as compared to a more detailed, maybe specific for them or even quote unquote sports specific uh, workout program? So let, let's start with bigger, faster, stronger, right? Because there, there is some truth to it, but it has to be really be done in a way where we get the optimal outcome because the last thing you want as a coach, right, is to have a player who's super fast, super talented. They go to a gym for six to eight months. They come back super bulky, maybe slow down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, in my mind, the, the worst possible outcome. When it comes to building strength and power, you do need to build a little bit of muscle. But I think a lot of the time that gets a bad reputation um, because a lot of people think that if you're packing on mass, it's going to slow you down and you may be bigger, you may be stronger, but you're not going to be as fast. Um, So for those coaches out there, think think of leg muscle as adding on horsepower to a car engine, right? If you want a car to go faster and you improve the, the strength and the robustness of its engine, the car is probably going to get a little bit heavier, right? But at the same time, that car is going to be more powerful and it's going to be faster. That's the optimal outcome. But what you don't want to happen is let's say you have that same car and you put like 500 bricks in the passenger seat. Now you, that car is stronger, but it's heavier, it's slowed down. So when it comes to bigger, faster, stronger, We do want to gain mass and we do want that mass to be positive in terms of muscle to the lower extremity, but we don't want it to be in a way where we're adding excess and it slows the player down. You need to be a professor. Like I, I just understood. I understood everything he just said. And I know that he dumbed it down for us, but (laughs) I totally got all of that. and was like, that makes so much sense. No, have you ever seen those videos? I forget they're on YouTube where it's like, explain this to a grade school kid, explain this to a high school grad, explain to a college grad, explain to a doctor. He totally just explained this to us like as high school kids, but it was perfect (laughs) because I totally understand the same thing. I understand what he was saying. (laughs) I was, I was all in on that. Um, I'm glad that resonated. I hope that the coaches (laughs) out there kind of took that on too. More like muscle does not mean slower. I just want to make that very, very clear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and or go ahead no most of them are smarter than me and sean to be honest that's like, very that's, true. that's that's why we have you guys on here to make to make us learn and, and increase and, and again just like so you guys look good because you you're you're talking to us who are not that intelligent. let let our low levelness just <laughs> uplift everyone um i, I was going to ask too you know as i've said in the show before and, and one of my uh coaching mentors who's now uh, with Nashville SC, uh, Mike Jacobs, when I first started coaching in college, always said, you have to be good at coaching and something else. And then we had um, Ailey Thompson on the show who she's good at coaching and she's also massive in the data analysis uh, realm. And so for me, I'm thinking of, man, like how you're the ultimate coach with your ability to coach the game, but also you're a freaking doctor. And like you, what you, that you just said five minutes ago, Uh, that we all understood about the horsepower in the car and and the lower leg muscles, you know, how do you feel? This is, this like your like resume interview here. Um, You know, how do you as a coach, when you're 
maybe when you're creating a session, you know, are you thinking about that performance type stuff of, man, like, is this a, is this an overload for this group that I'm working with? Or, um, you know, do you wonder, or do you ask them about like, Hey, like when you're working out, what are you doing? And that alters kind of what you do for, for sessions. Cause I feel like that has a correlation kind of maybe. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Let's yeah. Go. And I use the word so, correlation correctly. <laughs> so you guys, um, you guys, well, definitely you guys have seen like those fancy GPS, to, um, the vests and, yeah. and the technology tracking heart rate and everything. What if I told you, you could be, let's say you could estimate 80% of those values without actually buying the vest. That's something like I'd be all in for it. I would be yeah. intrigued. Very interesting. I don't have I don't have the money to, to pay for those. Yes. And what if I told you you can only you can do it by only collecting two numbers every single session? So just two numbers. Go on. Math is not my thing, but let's let's go. Okay. So th- there's this thing called um, workload ratio. So if you take, let's say you run a session, right, sixty minutes, and you ask your players on a scale of zero to 10, how difficult was that session? And they say, oh, coach, it was pretty light. You know, first day of preseason. Thank you for not killing us too much. So we'll say it's a five. Well, you take 60 times it by five. That'll give you an arbitrary number. So 60 times five, what is that? 300? Yes. Yeah, 300. Good. All right. So you track those numbers. Every single session you say, hey, players, how long do we play for? How difficult was the session? And maybe if there's a really tough session, they'll say, oh man, that was a nine out of 10. And then you look at your watch and you're like, dang, that was also a 90 minute session. And boom, that number is going to stick out like a sore thumb. So that'll tell you whatever you did that day was outside of their normal. And that could be on purpose, right? Let's say if it was a, a tournament match, a semifinal or a final, right? That could be the case. Or if you're like, oh dang, I planned my session. I didn't mean for it to be that physically exerting, maybe I need to alter my plan next time. And you can also do things like when they show up on the field on a scale of zero to 10, how sore are you right now? Right? Because that can give an indication onto how much they recovered. And if the numbers are higher than you expected, you can alter the training to allow that to happen. That like honestly like that blows my mind because it makes sense and again it's very very simple but no it's true i mean how many of us like how many of us that coaches are actually talking to our players about how sore they are or how tired that practice made us i mean i i run it and i i assume how tired it was but i definitely i don't think i i like sean what was the last time you like ran a session it was actually documenting how tired the players were afterwards. I don't know if I've ever done that. It, and it makes sense. And it, it's super easy to do and it will give you immediate feedback. And this is something like coaches, if you're, if you're doing things online, like if you're doing soccer training or soccer fitness online, a lot of the times when we're doing online training, you don't have that face-to-face visual of the person to read how tired you think they are right? So you simply ask them at the end of the session. So that way your next session is more effective. So that you just bring up an excellent point that made me think about this. Um, a majority of us up until, you know, the last few weeks 
we've been doing everything with our teams through Zooms, Hangouts, whatever it may be during the spring semester and part of the, uh, you know, uh, early, late winter. Um, so let's say, for example, this goes through again and kids are sent home. We've, there's already some schools that have already sent their kids home. There's uh, like the local high schools where I'm at um, have pushed back until mid-September. Um, you know, so with these coaches who are trying to keep that, that workload and keep the, the, this development and fitness and, and keep, uh, you know, these things going, what can, I mean, like, obviously we've seen like the workouts at home where, you know, instead of using weights, maybe you've got a laundry basket that you've put some stuff in, or you put a, a, a backpack and you fill it up with stuff and use that. What are the things that we can do? Uh, Cause I think that's the kind of the big thing like, a lot of us are, are concerned about now that if, with us having our fall seasons is that we are going to get sent home again. And if you think about it, you've done all this work, um, you know, to get your players prepared. And then now, you know, they're going to go home for who knows two weeks to however many months it may be. Um, you know, what are things that we can do? I, Cause I, I really, what I'm thinking about now is almost like these division one schools that have uh, postponed the fall, knowing that they're going to play in the spring. And these players have been there for two months already training at a high level. And there's a pretty good chance that they're going to get sent home at some point. How can, how can coaches, you know, via this, the zoom or, or whatever, and really ensure the players uh, themselves to that, you know, they can keep this high workload, uh, but while still doing it from home. It's very tough. And you guys probably as coaches will experience some of the same emotions that your players will feel because you've been working hard this entire summer and you're in this state of flux where am I going to compete? Am I not? Are we going to practice? Are we not? And you're just waiting waiting for an email to confirm or, or, or deny whatever you think will happen. And as a coach, what I would probably recommend is be prepared for the worst case scenario and talk about that scenario with your players ahead of time and get on the same page, whatever that is. So let's say you don't know if your season's going to happen this fall. It might happen in the spring why not do a zoom call and say, Hey guys, if we do end up getting postponed to the spring, we don't know that yet, but if, can we still commit to training for eight, 10, 12 weeks this semester, even though we're at home, even though we might be distance or whatever, is that something we can commit to? And the answer may be yes. The answer may be no, but at least then you will have an answer and that will take away some of the ambiguity that you might get from not knowing what will happen because whether you go down A, B, or C, you have that plan in place already, and you have buy-in from your players already, whatever the outcome may be. I'm first just, time, my, I don't know if people can hear this, but my mind is exploding right now. First time ambiguity was ever used on the podcast, I believe. That's a, that is a fact. That is a fact. I don't believe that word's been used on That should also tell you, Andy, about our show. When we can hear words and in 151 episodes say, that's never been used on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I got to give a quick shout out to my, my boy, Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> you, you a fan. Oh, yeah. So ever since I started listening to him, maybe like five years ago, my vocab is like, boom, through the <laughs> roof. You know, so... I'm just giving a quick shout out to him. That's where I get a lot of my, my big words. <laughs> oh from. my gosh. I mean, my man sitting here went to Temple, went to Duke, and he's like, I learned my big words from Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like the kid Merrill would be going crazy right now. The egregiousness of the foulicity. <laughs> I love Stephen A. Smith. I love he's my him. guy. I do find myself when he says stuff, 
I either just like ignore it when he uses a big word or I find myself looking it up. Yeah. Yeah. He's done the same to me. That's why, that's why I married an English major. Her exact <laughs> quote one time to me was, I know about words. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> Cause I don't. Oh, but actually we, so I, I put it out there. You probably would have said you're a regular shock soccer chatter. So you, you probably would have seen it today, but we put out the question to get a few people to give us some questions to ask you tonight. And we wanted to get to them. Samadhi Fisher said, I would love a follow up to the 2011 NFL study linking Achilles injuries to their lockout season or similar research that may help us keep players safe as we return to training. How Samadhi, is Samadhi, how are you going to jump on here and talk about the NFL in 2011, my guy? I don't know. <laughs> no, I love I, Samadhi. I'm no just, joke. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm on a, I was on a message with him today. Um, with him and Clifton Bush about the NFL like unwritten rules. So I, I was on a message with MLB. Yes. And uh, about that, like, and we can talk about that later, but I, I don't understand their unwritten rules. But all I got, all I can say is I was going to tweet this, but I didn't. And then we go, we'll get into the question was nobody would be saying anything if that was Mike Trout. Correct. Just <laughs> For sure. As opposed to a 20 year old rookie or 19 year old rookie. Fernando um, Tatis Jr. Papi. Dude, have you, have you heard his new walkout song? Yes, Cry Me a River. And yes. I'm all for the pettiness. <laughs> all for that pettiness right now. <laughs> uh, but his, like, the final part of his question is, how is periodization affected? And should we start with FMS assessments? When, how should we test, et cetera? I don't know what FMS is. FMS, what is that? I don't know. I, mean, I imagine Andy knows. Let's, let's start with the Achilles, because I think that's a good point. Um, in general, uh, tendon injuries tend to happen, especially with the Achilles, when you go from a period of little to no activity to a massive increase in activity. And this is why if you actually look at some of the, the NFL data, right, you always see Achilles tears happening preseason, weeks one and two, because some of these guys, they don't do much in the offseason. Then they go into training camp, boom, massive spike, right? And their, their tendon really isn't used to the load, and that tends to happen. Um, also with Achilles, they tend to happen with players who are a little bit older. So you think Kobe Bryant, right, that happened in his mid to late 30s, Kevin Durant, early to mid 30s, football players, a lot of these experienced linemen, 30s, late 20s, 30s. So in the youth population, it is a concern, but it, it's not as much of a concern as, let's say, the pros. What if you were uh, in your 20s when you tore your Achilles tendon? It's possible. It's very possible. It's just more likely when you're older. Okay. So I, you, I, no, so I tore my Achilles tendon when I was 20, I want to say 23, 23, mm -hmm. 24. Mm -hmm. um, just fresh off of uh, – um, not and because that's I was really paying attention to what you're saying. It wasn't like a big layoff in between um, getting done with college. I was still coaching, um, and then had um, was doing a little bit more playing, um, like in actual like competitive matches rather than just like playing and training and stuff like that. Um, and then I thought I had rolled my ankle, and it was like no. I found out a week later uh, that I had rushed my kids in. So like, and I was to say I always thought like oh like that's an that's an old guy injury. Um, and so that was the thing that kind of really freaked me out when my, um, the orthopedic, I confirmed like, yeah, it gets torn. I was like, oh, like I'm not old enough for this, but apparently I was. Yeah. It, it, it's an freak accident injury that can really happen to anyone, 
as we kind of manipulate some things like age or um, training history, right? Those, those spikes we talked about before with tracking every session, um, trends start to happen and that could be one of them. Well, I kind of going on with the, he's, cause you, you said it had like with the lockout, right? Mm-hmm. Nick, that was a question. Yep. So, and I think that's the thing when this whole pandemic started and I feel like I've said this every episode, but we had John Lipsitz on Bobby Puppy on John Lipsitz was talking about, it. he's like, no matter this link time period that we're off, he's like, no one is physically ready to come back to play. Like it's just not going to happen. And I know that there's a lot of us who are very concerned about the potential injuries and we've seen it with, um, we saw all the, the non-contact injuries from the NWSL. Uh, we've seen the, the, the injuries uh, through the NBA, uh, their bubble that they've got going on. And you're starting to hear more and more as NFL uh, training camps kind of get started. I mean, kind of s- putting the lockdown in terms of the pandemic. I mean, is, should there be a massive concern on the health side of our players? Um, you know, not just like with the Corona and everything, but with the muscles and joints, but just because there's been this big layoff. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these players, right, if you talk to a 15-year-old soccer player, the past four or five months, that has been the most they have ever gone by far of not doing any physical activity, right? And that's a, that's a lot for someone at that age. That's literally yeah. like, what, one-fifteenth of their entire life at that Dog, point. My six-year-old's been driving me crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. I was so happy when she could get back out and play and go to dance class because I was like, you need something to like move. Yeah, and as we're moving every day, our our muscles are getting stronger and we're getting used to these movements. And if kids are inside all of the time, then their their bodies do get a little bit weaker and they do become a little bit deconditioned. And what a lot unfortunately a lot of coaches, not just in soccer, but throughout all sports really is first day back okay let's let's get back to 100% when really we're stressing these athletes to go way beyond that to 150 200% right and that's not what they're fit for at that moment i i, I can tell a difference like and nick i don't know if you've kicked a ball recently but like I've tried oh, to, I can't even open my hips anymore. I was literally, I did a tra- training <laughs> session the other day where I was see, I, everyone calls it front foot, back foot, whatever you call it. Um, I was literally like teaching people to take it across their body. And I like went to open my hips. I was like, Oh God, that hurts so bad. Like I, I, cause again, most of my stuff, I run and I exercise all the time, but it's all this direction. It's yep. never like coming across your body. And like, I literally like, I like opened it up with my hips. It was last night. And I was like, I, that, I'm never doing that again. That five months so ago, much. five months ago, I could still ping the ball pretty good distance for my age. I could still throw a ball pretty good distance for my age. And I've done both those things in the last week and not even near like what I could do five months ago. At first I was telling myself like, Oh, it's my age. Like I'm, I'm hitting that point where I'm losing it. But now that Dr. Andy is basically saying like, no, it's the layoff. I feel really, I feel a lot better about myself right now. Yeah. And you just kind of remind me, that's probably why I can't ping the ball too far anymore. Either, <laughs> I've also noticed that. It's, <laughs> I was it's thinking the, the, goal pan, kicks the pandemic the problem, man. It's the pandemic problem. We can't yeah, hit the ball yeah. anymore. For sure. No, but we got uh, another question from uh, the soccer chatters from Michael Manthe. He's a great friend of the show. He's actually had me he, he's put me up in his house at one point he's he's an awesome human being yo that's how you yeah. know you've made a big time people are like except, hey don't, except get, he, don't get an airbnb he, just stay at my house <laughs> except he sent his daughter to lake forest who we play so i'm not super happy with him all the time but uh no <laughs> ella, ella's gonna do awesome out there but 
at what age does he, he's a club coach so he, he coaches typically like 15 to 17 15 to 18 year olds at what age does fitness tests with tracking numbers and metrics ever become a value very good question so your fitness test let's talk about first picking a good test because for it to be valuable it has to be representative of the game and if you look if i'm just going to estimate i would say at least 50 percent of the soccer programs out there that are fitness testing are doing completely the wrong type of tests right and when i say the wrong type of test it's literally like okay you're let's say you're a student who's really good at math here is a english essay right and then judging the quality of your math based off the english that you write right that's the the polar opposites we see in some of these tests like let's say the two mile um the cooper all of those guys they're they're so old and ancient that they don't even accurately represent the game so in terms of the tests you should use anything that requires a change of direction and b starting and stopping so the beep test is an easy one to do very easy to understand easy to replicate as well so that's often a popular choice you also have the yo-yo which is a little bit better right but it's also a little bit harder to implement and understand um, and then you have the 3015 which most programs in europe are using now it's probably the hardest to run but it is the most representative of the game can you explain that one? Because to be honest, I've never heard of that one. I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, so the 3015, the name pretty much explains most of it, where you run for 30 seconds and you walk for 15. And you have, it, it's pretty complex. If you look up a diagram, you'll see a 40-yard zone and you have a three-yard zone in the middle and then cones on either end. And long story short, you run, and you have to pass the zone by the time the beep goes off. And then when that beep goes off, you walk. Um, and it's pretty good for the game because it covers running, walking, and change of direction over a longer period of distance as compared to the, the beep test or the yo-yo. Because that, that's always been my issue with fitness tests. Is I've never, and again, because I'm intrigued about that one, I've never found one that... I thought accurately represented things because I thought players were getting tired more quickly than they were actually showing me their soccer fitness. Like if you're, if you're doing a two mile or a Cooper or even like the old school beat test where it, it, and you place the cones, whatever distance apart. Like I feel like our kids lose, like they, they get out before you actually get to experience like what their level of fitness is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if coaches out there are feeling that way, definitely look at the yo-yo. Specifically, if you Google yo-yo intermittent recovery test, level one is probably what most coaches are going to use. That implements a walking recovery zone in between your more high-intensity runs. Because the beep test, it's a little bit too slow at first, and then it picks up right away. But the thing about the beep test is you're going the entire time. There's no stopping. Yep. You know, so that's kind of why I like the, the yo-yo or the 30-15. Well, I like that too because I remember there was I, – I forget when it was. It was probably two, three years ago where I saw a diagram of Messi, who's debatably the best player that's ever played the game, where it broke down his – in a soccer game, what percentage of the game he was walking, 
what percentage of the game he was jogging slowly, what percentage of the game he was jogging a little bit quicker, and then what percentage of the game he was sprinting. And the, the sprinting percentage, I think it was less than 10%. But it was, I mean, I think he scored two goals that game if he, like, broke it down the entire way. And so I think soccer fitness is, is, is still one of those things that I think a few people have figured out, and a lot of us coaches don't have a good grasp of yet. Yeah, and if you're if you're a coach at a higher level, let's say a, a college or a high level club or um, even semi professional professional, what staffs tend to do at those levels is they put players into one of three buckets. Bucket one being this player's physical capacity needs to improve massively, and these are the players that come in talented but unfit. Another one is. Yeah, these players are good. We want to increase them a little bit, but don't want to do anything too crazy. And that final bucket is this player is perfect the way they are. Whatever we do, don't mess it up. And Messi goes into that bucket. Yeah. So he's one of those weird cases where, yeah, he's not going to run too much. He's not going to sprint, but we're just going to let him do him. And I believe I was watching that game. It was, the, it was an El Clasico, and he, that was the game he scored without having his cleat on, I think. <laughs> yes and, that was absolutely yeah. it yeah and it, it was an incredible performance and you're right he didn't run too much but man of the match fitness isn't the only piece of the equation i'm gonna move on to the next question i think the the thing that we're all struggling with and so i i want to make sure i credit the per, the correct person with this question um it is i think it was gabe cleaner um most of us aren't going to be allowed in gyms this summer like, or this fall. How do you f- improve your players' fitness and physical strength, like actually like lifting strength out at the field? Because most of us aren't going to be able to get in gyms this summer or like in this fall. I would say it is difficult to do so because when the beauty about the gym is – So the goal of any training program is to slowly increase your capacity over time by manipulating one of a few variables. And when you go to the gym, that variable tends to be weight, right? So let's say you're doing a back squat, you're doing 135. This feels easy. I'm going to go up to 145. Slowly go up and up and up and you'll progress. Now, when you leave the gym, you lost the easiest variable to manipulate being the amount of load or weight but there's still a ton of variables you can manipulate right so you can do sets so you can increase the amount of sets you're doing you can change the rep scheme depending if you want to alter the the goal being strength hypertrophy power any of those guys you can also manipulate a few more so we could talk about tempo so saying okay i'm gonna do a body weight squat but I'm going to lower down very slowly, let's say over three to four seconds, and then explode up. Um, And you can also manipulate the fact that, hey, right now I'm squatting with two legs. I'm going to take one leg out of the equation, and that's going to make my other leg double the amount of work it has to do. So you can kind of see here, there's a lot of things you can play with, and it probably does take um, a strength and conditioning coach to, to write that out for you. But even if you take a program as simple as, let's say, the FIFA 11 Plus, which is a a warm-up program that's very well-researched, if you do that for an entire summer, you are going to get stronger. And most likely, 
you'll be more fit than whatever team you will be playing against that likely didn't do much. So I, I've, as we wrap up here, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Um, do you have any wild, crazy towel guy stories? Any crazy what? Crazy towel guy stories. Oh, 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 let me think for a second. Because, and, and because you know who this is and there probably are people who are listening. If you know of Duke university, you know, of crazy towel guy. And a long time ago, uh, before I had kids, so it's probably about eight, nine years ago, my wife and I decided that when I retire, because probably by the time crazy towel guy, um, he's, he's an older man at this moment in time. Um, there will have to be a new crazy towel guy on campus for all the sporting events. I really feel like I have the qualifications to become the new crazy towel guy when it has to be passed on. I think, you know what? I, I think you, you're perfect for the role. Oh, absolutely. I really, really do. You know, this is, this needs to be brought up at whatever secret meeting the, the iron Dukes are, are doing. I think you should send an application in. Yes. You'd, you'd be a great fit. So for the listeners out there at, at all the, the Duke basketball games, there's this older gentleman. I think it happens maybe between the third and the fourth quarter where he stands up and he starts waving a white towel around and he will wave it until the camera is placed on him and he is on the jumbotron for everyone to see. So yeah, I, I think you'd be a good fit. Like, <laughs> I think it fits you, man. Well, I, I think so it'll the, work. So the crazy towel guy story, he's a big tennis player. Um, and he would attend the, the tennis games and to start the rally, he would start waving this, this towel around oh. and all of a sudden like other sports saw it and would be like, Hey, like you need to come to our games. Oh. Um, and so he just, but he still like plays on campus, uh, plays in tennis and, uh, still very active in it. Um, and I will never forget. Um, I want to say it was the second game at Cameron, my wife and I attended, um, Duke was winning by a lot. And so there was no reason to rally uh, anybody, but uh, we were in a student section and we just got a crazy towel guy, crazy oh, towel yeah. guy. And all yeah. of a sudden he stood up for us and he gave us the wave and he went crazy with the towel. And uh, that was all she wrote. Like it was, it, I mean, it was game over way before that. It was definitely game over after that happened. Oh yeah. Every game, every game. And if I know you'll appreciate this, but if you guys have a chance, of course, Duke UNC is up there to go to, Duke UVA. I would say probably three, four, or five on that list is Countdown to Craziness. Yes. Which is Duke's um, preseason game, and it's Duke versus Duke, which is super dope. So you get yeah. to cheer on both ends of the court. So if you guys ever have a chance, definitely check that out too. I typically watch that one from, from home. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I always tell people, even if, you, if you're not – a Duke university fan, like their camp is just so cool. Um, you know, our, uh, our daughter started going to the soccer camp last year down there. Uh, mm. just a, a cool environment, cool people. And I love the city of Durham. It's changed so much, but for so good. And, uh, I don't know. I still think at some point, I think our family is going to end up down there. Um, mm. somehow, some way. Cause I feel like North Carolina is constantly calling, um, our name. Andy, man, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, as you know, with soccer chat, it's all about this community, this family, uh, and this network um, of people that, uh, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting connected. And so maybe there's a lot of people like myself and Nick who we don't have a strength conditioning coach, but there's more information that we want to know. How can people contact you? 
Yes, you can find me at Twitter um, at the Andy Serafin because unfortunately my name was taken. Um, oh. Or you can find me on Instagram at the Football Physios Football with a U. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on with us, Andy. We appreciate it. And uh, I know a lot of us who are trying to get ready for the season or we're going to be getting ready for the spring uh, are going to definitely be using this and, and, and using your analogies to, to smarten ourselves up when it comes to uh, injury management and truth conditioning. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs>